Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. You need to start to think exactly as your prospect thinks. Again, they ask you answer, right? They think you address it really well. So the way that we would do that is, do I really need to use an architect for my next home? That's a great title for a video. Is an architect really worth it? That's a great title for an article or a video. But how often do we word it that way? Not very often. And therefore, we don't we don't immediately draw them in and say, oh, and that's that disarmament that I was telling you about just a minute ago. Immediately saying it like, well, really? Wow. Okay. Maybe flinch. You got my attention now. That's power. Welcome to Context and Clarity, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I, and our live audiences joining us from all across the internet, have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. In this episode, we talk with Marcus Sheridan, international keynote speaker and author of They Ask, you answer. Our guest today is a business owner, a global speaker, and a marketing and sales expert. He's a leader and a teacher and the author of a book that's as much a business philosophy as it is simply a book. Probably because of that, Book Authority calls it one of the five best marketing books of all time. I I, I read that and I was thinking about all of my favorite marketing books. And this is certainly in, in my tops, obviously, having listened to it so many times. I'm going, that's, that is high compliment to be in the five best of all time. So maybe we talk about that. The title of the book 
is They Ask, You Answer. Marcus Sheridan, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. That was a fun intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, you know, I, I hope I hope we don't hit that sugar high too soon with all the Heath bars, but Marcus, many in our audience, many in our community have been pounded over the head by me this week about you and about the book and about asking and answering questions. Uh, and they've heard your backstory. So I thought maybe the place that we could start is just simply with a question, because obviously this being part of your backstory is very familiar to you. And you tell stories about this. I think many of us can identify with this, but what does it feel like when maybe it's suddenly, or maybe it's gradually over time, but what does it feel like when you're not finding, you're not attracting those ideal clients as much as you need to? Maybe the pipeline's drying up or, or maybe it's just the frustration of not having the right people, but what does it feel like when that happens? You know, I think ultimately there's just a helplessness that we're talking about here, right? Because if you think, why do we get in business generally is to a degree we're control freaks. We want to control our destiny. Sometimes we realize that, sometimes we don't, but that's oftentimes why we become entrepreneurs. And when the pipeline dries up, we're not in control of our destiny anymore. I mean, sure, we, we are, but it's like much, much less. We don't have nearly as much agency as we did when it was flowing in. And of course, there's a lot of people experiencing that you know, right now. Um, it's uh, interesting what's happening in the marketplace. I actually did a, uh, uh, I, Riverpools became a, fr a franchise. So we have franchisees all over the country now. And I was doing our national sales training today with all of our franchisees. And, you know, leads are, are down, but closing rates are very down. And so for the last two years, they were order takers and suddenly they got to sell again. And uh, I think a lot of people are in that position right now too, which is why I think there's a lot of getting back to the basics and honing those fundamental skills that are they're just so very, very important. And of course, trust is one of those, right? They ask you answer stuff, but um, I'm really glad to be here. And I'm, I, I love this audience too, because I think there's a lot here to, to discuss from a they ask you answer standpoint. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you mentioned just a minute ago, and it's it's always struck me as being interesting. I mean, Riverpools obviously is is a different business than an architecture firm, but at the same time, pools are a big ticket item. And so anytime we're laying down big money, if I can say it that way, anytime we're laying down big money, it requires a lot of trust. Anytime we're hiring, you know, someone comes to somebody in our community and our audience right now to design their dream home or the new office for their business or whatever, you know, whatever the project is, it requires a tremendous amount of trust, uh, you know, to write the check or, or say, yes, I want you to be the one that installs my pool or designs my thing. What is, what's the best way? I mean, you talk about, like you said, you talk about this all the way through the book, but what is the best way or the fastest way to build that trust with people that, that the one, especially the ones that we call our ideal clients that we really, really want to work with? Yeah, well, that is a loaded question. If I was forced to choose one, if I was forced to choose one, though, and this is mentioned in the book, but it's not a heavily focused area, but and it's a subtle art. I know, like when we work with with companies, they're like, this is the one skill I have to teach a lot. And in the book, I call it disarmament, which is the process of disarming your audience because naturally they come in apprehensive. Uh, we 
you know, let me give you an example. Someone, if you said to me right now, Jeff, Marcus, yeah, I'm looking at fiberglass. I'm looking at concrete pools. I know you only sell fiberglass. Tell me, why should I go fiberglass? You're literally expecting me to be biased in that moment. And to a degree, the question's a setup in and of itself. Because the smart salesperson, the smart communicator, in that moment, what they're going to say is, I don't know if fiberglass is right for you. Now, we can figure this out together, but it might not be. Now, very few brands in the world communicate like that online, on their website. And so there is so much power when you're willing to say what you are, what you're not. This is why, especially architects, this is very important. Every single person that's listening to this right now should have a page and a video on said page of their website that talks about who they're for and who they are not a good fit for. There is so much trust that comes the moment you're willing to say what you're not, what you're not because, so if you are, when you do, you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for. And so to me, that's really what it is. We got to learn to disarm. We say things that they don't expect us to say. We say, you know, you might not need an architect. What? What do you mean? I was expecting you just to tell me all the reasons why. But then we allow them to decide once we present the facts. And now all of a sudden, there's this immense amount of trust that's been built. It has always struck me as I read the book, and it's even in the title, right? They Ask You Answer that many of us, you know, our inclination is to make our marketing, our website, our social media, our videos, what you know, whatever the, the medium is, to make it about us. And I see this all the time on architects' websites. You know, we're we're ABC architects. We've been in business for 26 years. We've won more awards designing schools than anybody else and blah, 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 blah. We make it all about ourselves. But what you're talking about is really making it about our ideal clients. The people that, you know, I guess the ideal clients are the people that we're right for. The non-ideal or whatever that that term needs to be is those that we're not right for. And I, I think what you're describing is sort of a, um, you know, it's the opposite side of the coin from the way that most of us have been doing our marketing or, you know, our communicating probably for generations, at least in this profession, I think. Yeah. I mean, really what we're talking about here is who is the hero? Of your story. And if you really get it from, especially from a web perspective, when they're vetting you to death online and you don't even know they exist yet, there's two, there, there's two ideal heroes. Now there's three that often exist. The one that you already said, which is the, not ideally the hero of your story, right? The, the, the second hero is of course the, in this case, the homeowner, um, the, the customer, it could be a previous customer, it could be a future customer, but it's it's a customer, it's a real person that they can relate to and say, I'm I like that person. That's that's who I am. That's where I am right now in my life or my in my whatever, my maybe my decision process. And the third hero, I would argue in many ways equally as important as the second one, is the problem, the question, the need, the worry, the concern. Right. And that's what it's all about is can I give someone this incredibly transparent, honest, clear, incisive answer to this question, worry, fear, issue, concern that they might have. And to your point earlier, Jeff, a home, a building, it's a huge investment, not just monetarily, it's emotionally a big deal. And what we find, what drives how much content somebody will consume 
before they make a purchase isn't so much as to how much it will cost. That's not the highest one. It's the fear of screwing it up is the biggest factor that dictates how much content somebody will consume. And uh, so it's like they've done all these studies. It's like if you're getting a the first gift you've ever given to, let's say, a partner, a loved one, you don't want to screw it up. You could spend days. You could read like hundreds of, of like articles or watch videos about this particular product because you want to screw it up and it costs you 75 bucks. So it wasn't money. I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to miss. Same thing happens, of course, with any type of home or edifice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And it, and it strikes me that, um, you know, of course, the, the, the people in our community, the architects in our community and in our audience, they may, des- they do, they may do residential design or they may design uh, laboratories for universities. And those are very different clients, obviously. But I think, as you said, I think that motivator, you know, I don't want to screw it up, whether it's the facilities manager at uh, West Virginia University, or it's the couple that's wanting to, to build their dream house that I think that's still, still the case. So I think it's sort of a universal example there. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you mentioned that because sometimes people say, oh, I don't know if it's really like that in the B2B environment. It's like, no, there's a lot. They're, they're thinking that my job's riding on this, my livelihood's riding on this. Or in this case, like this is a legacy decision I'm making because this is going to be a WVU for the rest of time and eternity. And it's going to have, I'm going to be behind that. That's West Virginia University. One of the things that we see, uh, one of the complaints, I, I mean, I've been around this profession for 30 plus years and I don't think this has changed in 30 years. I suspect it went back, you, you know, before my time. I suspect it will continue forward. But a complaint or common sets of complaints that I hear is people don't understand the value of an architect. And of course, there's, there's again, there's a spectrum of, I call it a spectrum of sophistication in clients. So if you have someone that's never hired an architect before, I'm going to call them fairly unsophisticated in terms of from a client point of view, because they've they've not been through this process before, versus the facilities manager at WVU that does this all the time. So that that's sort of my my spectrum or my scale. But but um, we hear that all the time. You know, people don't understand the value of an architect, or they don't understand the difference between you know an unlicensed designer and a licensed architect. And and even you know why doesn't our professional organization do more to um, to educate people? And again, I you know I pull out the book and I go, I think we bear some resp- some personal responsibility. Heck yeah, you do. It's level. on you. It's on the industry, and, and it's not on the dang association. It's actually on the individuals uh, more than anything else. Is what I've found. You know, for years I used to get annoyed. I'd go into homes, I'd give a quote for a swimming pool, because again, it's, the swimming pool buyer is very similar to the uh, in this case to to your customer, to the architect customer, at least on the on the B to C side of things very similar. And uh, oftentimes they'd say things like, what? I thought a pool was only $30,000. I thought a pool was only $35,000, right? It was whatever crazy low number was. And for a long time, I got really annoyed. I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Pools don't cost that. They cost a lot more than that. But of course, I'm thinking, these people are dumb. Who's dumb? I'm dumb. Why? Because I allowed ignorance to exist in the marketplace. When you allow ignorance to exist in the marketplace, which occurs from a lack of education, what happens every single time? Commoditization effect. You just see it over and over again. So when someone thinks that two companies are offering the same product or service, essentially, they're naturally just going to choose the cheapest one. If they can't decipher the difference, 
they're going to choose the cheap road. It's not because they're cheap. It's because in this case, they're ignorant of the value of the thing. And so it's the onus falls on that company within that industry to educate the marketplace. And in 2023, we ain't got no excuse. It's easier than it's ever been. Like in 1995, the year I graduated high school, yeah, the year before the internet takes off, yeah, you got excuses, right? Because we don't, we, it's like, it was, it was the digital, the, the David couldn't beat the Goliath so much back then. Today, digital David wins over and over and over again and beats Goliath all the time online because they're willing to talk about things. They're willing to explain the things. And in this case, once again, we're talking about, let's say, value, which by the way, an idea, uh, as soon as you said that, Jeff, there's a whole series of videos and articles, because my brain has to think like this, that came to my mind. Like, for example, the way I would do this, see, the, the way a lot of architects would do that video is uh, 10 reasons why you should use an architect for your next home. No, wrong Good. That's good, Catherine. I want people to be scared because <laughs> that's wrong. And this is what I see all the time. So instead of doing that, you need to start to think exactly as your prospect thinks. Again, they ask, you answer, right? They think you address it really well. So the way that we would do that is, do I really need to use an architect for my next home? That's a great title for a video. Is an architect really worth it? That's a great title for an article or a video. But how often do we word it? Not very often. It Therefore, around, yeah. we, don't, we don't immediately draw them in and say, oh, and that's that disarmament that I was telling you about just a minute ago. Immediately saying it like, well, really? Wow. Okay. Maybe flinch. You got my attention now. That's power. If I, if I take that responsibility on, right? It's not the association's responsibility. It's my responsibility to educate. What about my competitor that's down the street? Are they going to benefit from me creating these videos or the blog posts or, you know, whatever the medium is? Are they going to benefit from me educating the public? Is it going to backfire on me or is, or is it just something that I just have to run with the process and, and trust it? Yeah, I got a few answers. So first off, all boats rise. Which uh, you know, I I'm I come from a very abundance mentality mindset. I think there's room on top for everybody, which I think is beautiful. And you know, when I started, uh, they ask you answer for my fiberglass swimming pool company in 2009. Eight percent of the residential pools that went in the U.S. were fiberglass. To eight percent today, the number is something like 23, 24 percent. And so, how do you get a lift? of 16% nationally, you only do it through education. Every single one of those fiberglass companies has benefited from river pools. Every single one. Because we took an industry that was almost non-existent in the US that was like, if you go to Australia, about half the residential pools, fiberglass, right? So it's completely different. But here in the US, it was a concrete vinyl market. So we had to introduce it. We do that through the power of great education. And so all rise. And one last thing I'll say about that too is, you know, before I started speaking like, like globally to different companies about uh, these principles, I was teaching the pool industry. That was like my first big talks I ever gave was in the swimming pool industry. And I once figured that I've given uh, the whole they ask you answer framework and exactly what we did to over a thousand swimming pool builders in the like around the world. Over a thousand, over a thousand know how we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. 
how we exploded, saved our business, exploded, became a manufacturer, yada, yada, yada. They all know it. Guess how many have done it even half as well out of the thousand? One. Four. Oh, one. One. That's not a bad guess, Catherine. Either way, it's 1%. Less (laughs) than 1%, right? It's less than 1%. And so this is why you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Anybody's listening to this right now, you could start, you could post a video right now on your site that is, um, how much should an architect for your home actually cost? Okay, just being hypothetical. Ain't nobody going to do that. In fact, they might even be bothered by the fact that you address that because they're living in 1995, right? But you're living in 2023. You realize that people want to know. doesn't mean they can't afford it. This is not like if you got to ask, you can't afford it. Every single one of us wants to understand components of budget before we reach out to a company. If the people, let's just, on cost and price alone, right? Which, by the way, for anybody, because I know a lot of people have read the book and understand the concept, but for those that have not read the book, there's five subjects that move the needle in every single industry in terms of the way we research online, cost being one of them, cost and price. When we talk about cost and price as an architect, you have to explain the marketplace, not what do you charge? That's the side that's a side element to this. It's not the big part. Of, if I'm going to produce 1500 word article or video on how much should an architect charge or how much should you be spending on architect or how much does it cost to hire an architect, whatever the thing is for not for whatever thing, a uh, home, home design, then it's going to have four main components. What drives cost up? What drives cost down? Why are some architects ex- expensive? Why are some so cheap? Right? Those are the major four four so what drives costs up, what drives costs down, just generally speaking, when you're working with an architect. But then on an individual level, why are some really expensive and why are some so cheap? Those are the four majors because now you're defining what value looks like in the marketplace. In, in most industries, there's different tiers. There's a low, medium, and a high tier in almost every single industry. And so one of the easiest ways that you can explain this is here's what you're going to find. There's different tiers in the industry. There may be three, there may be four, but I guarantee if I was in... The architect industry, long enough, I'd see there's there's tiers. There's three or four tiers in almost every single industry. And so I'd explain those tiers and really what you could expect to receive and the value and roughly what you would spend in those tiers. All that being all that being said, most would think, no way, I just I just can't do that. If and because you don't do that, because you assume that everybody just naturally knows. And there's a bunch of people that say, well, my customer has the money to spend and they don't need to research this type of thing, All right? which is outrageously naive. If you think your customer forever is going to be like that, that's very, very naive. So instead, you introduce it and you teach the marketplace. And then all of a sudden, people are like, huh, I didn't realize it worked like that. Now I understand. Or maybe even the ones that have experience work with architect, architects are saying, wow, that's interesting. I'd worked with them before, but I didn't actually understand all the, the elements that go into cost in this industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as you were explaining that, you know, the 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 up, the down, the the cheap, the expensive. I, I had a flashback, right? Because how many? And I'm you can you can drop this in the comments if you're if you're watching or listening live. Put yes or no if you've ever experienced that. You give somebody a proposal, or right? you've gone through this process, you've interviewed your client, you've given somebody a proposal, and they want to know. Why did it cost so much? Why is it so high? I didn't think it would be, you know, why I thought a pool was $35,000. I thought an architect was, was $20,000, you know, whatever it was. So that, that's, that's the high and the low. And the other, the other part that often comes up in those conversations is, oh, well, we've been talking to a couple of other architects. Why is, 
why are you so much more or why are you so much less than this other? So these are the questions that are going to come up in response to your proposals anyway. Why not? You know, the way I'm thinking about it is why not head it off to the pass? Here's where it gets worse. Yes, because the best cure is always prevention, by the way, right? Um, but where it gets really scary is there's a lot, every single person that's listening to this call right now has had a prospect that you've worked with that just came to you and said, we've decided to go with somebody else because they were too embarrassed to talk about your price. This happens all the time. You see, people are hesitant to sometimes if they get a quote to say, my goodness, you're so high because they actually want you to think like they've got it all together financially and you know they're, they're just good to go. But in reality, they're thinking, wow, that's really, really expensive. Why is it so expensive? So there's a certain amount of people that never ask. And then here's where it gets even worse. Every person that's watching this right now, because the majority probably have not really addressed this subject very well on their website, okay, has missed a stunning amount of conversations because somebody was potentially on your site. They had no sense for cost because they didn't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. They didn't even reach out. This happens all the time. And if each one of us knew how many customers we had lost because of that fear, we would be sick to our literally sick. That's buyer psychology. I, I mentioned before we went live that we've been preparing for this talk all week. And we started out Monday with the question of something along the lines of what, what are the questions that your prospective clients have about hiring an architect? And then we did about their project. And then we did about uh, hiring you. And and then I told everybody, you know, those questions were really kind of a trap because you may have been thinking, you know, as, as we were having these conversations, okay, what questions are they asking me? But the the reality is that a lot of times those questions don't even get to you, right? They're at, they're searching, they're seeking the answers before, and you said it earlier, before you even knew that they existed. So it seems to me that's, that's another big uh, sort of cornerstone in what you're talking about and they ask you answer and again i don't i don't i don't care what the medium is but in getting the answers to those questions out there this i mean this i can tell you've really like you said have listened to the book four or five times jeff because you you're you're summing up but it's all just psychology right it, this is what we're we're talking about here and it's, again i'll say it the greatest way in life to resolve a concern is to address it before it becomes a concern. If you can do that, you know, I was the first manufacturer in the in the swimming pool, fiberglass swimming pool industry to put a pricing calculator on our website. Now, I'm a manufacturer that doesn't set the end price, but yet I've got a pricing calculator. How are you going to do that? Well, I, gotta, I give them a range. I ask a series of questions. They're able to build their swimming pool to the best of, of their knowledge based on what I'm giving them and the, I educate them through it, the process with a tool. They don't have to talk to me to get it. And then I give them a range. And sure, the range might be 80 to 120,000. But guess what? Ain't nobody given a range. They're not. And so what does that mean? That one little tool gets me one to 200 leads a day during the summer. Well, and, they, and, they, and they know it's not 30,000 after they use that pricing calculator. I mean, that's they have exactly a better idea. It, Catherine. That's exactly it. Now, is it perfect? No. And in my sales training with our team today, one person said, yeah, I, I always find that I'm on the high side of that pricing tool, Marcus. And somebody else said, yeah, I find we're on the low side. I'm like, well, just go show. That's why you have range. And aren't you glad that you're getting all those leads that you otherwise wouldn't be getting, right? Which is like, that's what you have to think about. It's 
if we don't talk about it, who are they going to learn the answer from? It's like they're learning value from who? Your competitor? That's dumb. HGTV. <laughs> it's crazy. HGTV. Yes. Like the, I'm sure the bane of many people's home improvement existence because it's like all like, you know, rainbows and flowers on there. And so instead, let's get down to the brass tacks, treat people like educated human beings. Sure, you can, you can, you can CYA with your content, folks, because you're always – the problem is people think, I can't do that because – no, 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 no. Here's where you got to start with the Ask You Answer. The, the perfect title to the book and to the framework, strategy, the philosophy is they ask, you address it really, really well. But that's not a great title to a book. So it's they ask, you answer. You can't always answer. You can't always say, here's going to be your exact price. Or here's what you should do. Or here is the, you know, here's the best architect in such and such state for, uh, you know, uh, hospitals. You can't always give exacts, but you can always address the question. And that's the battle that we're waging. You realize if you just address the question, you're already ahead of 90% of the marketplace in terms of your competitors. I mean, you're already crushing. And so, like, just doing that puts you in very elite status. I have a question because I was talking about your book to people in my marketing lab the other day who are not architects, but they're, they did not like the idea at all because they want people to call them so they can win them over. And if you just have yeah. people answer, just look at your website and decide you're not for them. You don't get a chance to win them over. My feeling is, and I didn't argue with them too much, but because I just didn't have the energy yesterday, but I feel like well, that's doing you a favor because those people probably weren't going to go with you anyway. Right. I think people get an idea of Anyway, so what do you say to that if someone says they should all be calling you and talking to you so I can say it next time? Sure. So I'm just going to give you a question set because I see the world in the form of a question, right? So I would say to uh, that person or my audience, and I would start with, now you have to be very honest and self-aware with the following questions I'm going to ask you. When you're on a website and you're looking for cost and price information and you cannot find it, what is the emotion you experience? They say, I feel frustrated. And I say, why do you feel frustrated? Because they're not giving me what I'm looking for. Okay. Now, in that moment of frustration, do you as the buyer, do you as the searcher, do you say to yourself, oh, I'm sure it's here on this website somewhere. I'm just going to keep on looking for it. And they're like, no, don't do that. All right. Now, in that moment of frustration, do you as the buyer, do you as the searcher, this is very important. Do you say to yourself, well, of course, they're not willing to talk about that on their website. They're a value-based business. I'm going to call them on the phone instead. Ha, laughable, right? You don't do that because you as the buyer, you as the searcher, you keep doing what? Well, you keep searching and you search until what happens. I find what I'm looking for. And generally speaking, whoever gives you what you're looking for, they're going to get what? Well, I guess they're going to get my business. So that's your psychology. That is your behavior. Do you truly believe your customers are so different from you? Now, the problem that we have, though, is we can't, again, we can't measure loss. We don't know how many we would have had had we been willing to address the question. We just know the way we've been doing it forever. This is the way my daddy and my mommy did it. And so that's the way we're going to do it. Da, 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 da. Like that is like incredibly old sales methodology is, you know, there's a new stat that came out by Gartner recently that says 33% of all buyers would prefer to have a seller free sales experience. For millennials, that's 44%. Now, this doesn't mean that we hate salespeople. It just means that we do not want to talk to a salesperson until we're very good and ready. We don't want to talk to, talk to an architect until we feel like I'm not going to get burned. I'm not going to make a mistake. I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to sound like an idiot. It's intimidating. And so I want to make sure that I've done enough legwork that I can be, be somewhat nose-to-nose with this person and not just be naive when we're talking about my nest that I'm going to stay in for the next 20 years, right? 
this is the type of emotions that we have. Jeff, can I ask you a question? It's more for you than than Marcus probably, but I'm a little confused. Even though I'm an architect and I've been one for whatever years, I'm kind of under the impression that we're not allowed to talk about what we charge or put that on our website. Are we just not allowed to do that? Or what's the actual rule? Because I would love to just put my pricing there and and I'll I'll try to get this as accurate as I can. And and some if I get it wrong, someone will certainly correct me. But the American Institute of Architects got in trouble with the Department of Justice. Well, I forget, I think in the 70s, maybe it's 70s, 90s, I forget which, but they had to sign a, an, a consent decree with the Department of Justice that says within the Institute, you can't discuss fees. So basically it was about price fixing, right? That doesn't say that Catherine can't discuss fees. That doesn't just say that Marcus can't discuss fees. Jeff can't discuss fees. It means that we can't collude. We can't as an organization collude to fix fees, but it doesn't take away your freedom to discuss fees. But there are a lot of people that have that in their brain. And, um, and there are, there are a lot of, uh, it, it's actually, I believe it's still stated in the AIA code of ethics ab- about, uh, discussion of fees. But it comes down to collusion. It's an agreement between the American Institute of Architects and the Department of Justice. You didn't sign that. Um, e- even members of the American Institute of Architects did not sign that. I think Mark's comment here is really, really good. We can yeah. discuss fees all day long, yep. but we can't collude. If right. you go, if anybody's listening to this right now, open up Google just so you can you can see the search bar and type in how much does an architect cost. Oh my gosh. Don't do that. Don't do that. The home advisor says it's three thousand dollars. No, usually what but, they say. but don't even hit the enter button because oh, okay. as soon as you hit call, how much does an architect cost and you just leave it. It says how much does it cost? How much does it cost to design a house? How much does it cost for a remodel? How much does it cost to design a home? How much does it cost for an addition? How much does it cost to build a house? How much do they cost per hour? How much does it cost uh, to design a kitchen? So these are all actually separate questions that I would be addressing on my website because they all they're they all merit a different answer. So so how much does it cost to hire an architect for your bathroom is dif- different than your home is different than an addition is different than your kitchen. Those are four separate questions that they merit based on the they ask you answer framework for either articles, for videos that are really explaining it well. Now certainly there's going to be some overlap there because again, there's going to be factors that drive the cost up and down that are similar. But I have never found a situation where we couldn't address something. I have found situations where we couldn't give exact answers. Even in highly regulated, compliance-based industry, we can address these things. One, one thing that I was thinking about earlier was that it's interesting. To me, they ask you answer was sort of the phoenix out of the flame of 2008 and, and river pools, et cetera. And in juxtaposition, one of the great things about this community is that we see new firms being born all the time. Um, I would say during COVID, I, I, at one time I was keeping track of this, but during COVID, we probably had six, seven, eight people start their own firms for various reasons. So if we, if we look at you know what you did, what you learned to survive in those days and compare it to somebody that's just starting today, if, if there's somebody in the audience that maybe just started their, uh, their firm or they're, maybe they're thinking, I actually, I know there are a few that are getting ready to launch their own firms. What would be your advice for somebody that's ready? You know, they're just about to come out of the gate 
start their own thing. They need to get off on as solid footing as they possibly can. And I think they have an opportunity to disrupt maybe, you know, in, in the way that they, uh, uh, they approach their marketing and their communications. What would you do if you were starting out fresh as an architect in 2023? Well, can I give a few different answers here? Absolutely. So there's just like, I want to give you some like high level philosophical answer. And I want to give you sure. actual yeah. strategic answer too. Um, for, Perfect. For 2023. Yeah. So the high level, the, the, the high level is you need to decide something. I'm very serious when I say this is, do I want to be a rule maker or a rule follower in my industry? That is a choice that you have. Do I want to be a rule maker or a rule follower? Because in order to make rules, one other rule, you got to break rules. For example, in this industry, one of the rules is, I'm putting it in quotes, because it's not really a rule, is, well, we can't really talk about fees. Oh, hell yeah, you can. You can talk about fees a lot. You might not be able to say certain specificities, but you can talk a lot about how the industry works in terms of cost of fees, et cetera. And, oh, trust me, there's thousands online right now trying to figure this out because I just did the searches. And it's prolific. So somebody's got to step up. Now, that person's going to break some rules. But the rule breaker becomes the rule maker. I can recall, it was, it was like six, seven years ago, I was speaking to all these um, boating manufacturers. And uh, most of the folks that were in the room were like offshore boating manufacturers, yada, yada. And I said, every single one of you within the next decade is going to have a calculator on your website that's going to give price ranges. And you're going to have a build your boat tool on your website. I almost laughed out of that room, almost laughed out of that room. At least 60% of those dudes today, they got a pricing calculator on their website because what happens? One chip falls and then two chips and then four and then eight. And it's how it goes over and over again. One other thing about this rule maker, rule breaker, because this one gets me off. I think the dumbest quote of all time that we celebrate in business is the stupid Henry Ford quote, which he was a genius, by the way. Okay. But the stupid Henry Ford quote of, you can have any model you want as long as it's black. That's the dumbest quote in history that we celebrate because that quote, that mindset almost got Ford in bankruptcy the first time around that they started having me. They were the huge market leaders. Nobody could touch them. He got cocky and arrogant and he didn't want to change. And because he didn't want to change, somebody came around and broke the rules and they became the rule maker. He became a rule follower for a season of time. That's how it works in business over and over. Okay. So you got to have a mindset. That's that the first part. Now, for the actual strategy in 23, and this isn't found in the book, but I'm telling you, this is what I, I have an architect client right now I'm doing this with, and it's, this is unbelievably effective for 2023. Don't anybody freak out when I say this, like, oh, I can't do this because you're going to, you can do oh, this. I can't wait to hear what it is. It's a short form video, specifically YouTube shorts, mm -hmm. Facebook reels and Instagram reels and TikTok potentially. Now, why are those so dang amazing? Because you make these videos upright on your phone. There's no production cost almost whatsoever. And you just have to learn to quickly show a story. Let me give you an example. Um, I have a, an offshore fishing company. Okay. So I have a commercial side of the, of the company, and then I have a uh, charter side of the company. And so we just had bluefin uh, tuna uh, season, bluefin tuna season. So uh, I decided to make a short one day when we were reeling in one of these monster bluefin tunas, like you see on the TV show, Wicked Tuna. And I just pulled out my phone and I showed how we, how we bring the tuna into the boat. Okay. Now this is common for anybody in the industry, but it's not common for you. So I recorded this in a minute. And on Facebook, it's done 1.6 million views. 
Uh, and on uh, YouTube, I think it's like uh, 700,000 views. And so combined, I think it's probably like a quarter of a, um, I think it's a, like 2.5 million-ish for this one-minute video that I did. And far and away, the the greatest returns in terms of scaling awareness of your brand in 2023 is short video. But again, I'm not saying make short videos. I'm When I say short video, I'm talking about using the platform of YouTube Shorts, Facebook Reels, and Instagram Reels and showing a story. So the story might be, let me if I was an architect, let me give you an example. I would do a, a time lapse with my phone of me doing a set of drawings for a house. That's an example. That's really interesting. That's really, really cool. All right. I'm, I'm fascinated with that. Another example of it could be just one minute um, like recommendations uh, about uh, designing your home and mistakes people make. Another one could be like, okay, here's five of the uh, most popular countertops that we're seeing that people love in 2023. It's fast, bam, bam, bam. And the key to a short is that it's quickly changing from one scene to the next scene to the next scene. So you're showing one material and then new scene, second material, new scene, third material, less than one minute, takes you almost no time to do. And the returns are just phenomenal. I've been doing it with a lot of clients. I absolutely love it. And it's killer in visual spaces. Guys, we're in a visual space. If you're not doing shorts, you're missing an opportunity. I guarantee your peers probably aren't doing them. This is true. I've been watching, and I know Catherine has before me even, but we've been watching TikTok and the number the small number of architects on TikTok. There are several that are doing fantastic short videos there, but, um, Slaying. but it's, 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 they're not, uh, the number is, is not large. Not high. If you said, I have to put all my eggs in one marketing basket. Don't even buy they ask you answer. Just start doing short videos. <laughs> now, long-term, they ask you answer is, is your key to having incredible, sustainable, scalable growth and to be able to pick and choose your customers. There's no question about it. But short term, short term, I would be doing short video. I love that. I love that. You mentioned earlier, you started to touch on the, the and I realize we just have a couple of minutes left here, but you mentioned the, the five um, uh, pillar, topic pillars of the, you know, the best topics for this type of content. And you, you started with cost, but I, I think we left off there because we were, we focused a lot on cost. What are the other four? Cost, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best. Let me give you an example. So for cost, it's what we already covered. How much does an architect cost or how much does it cost to hire an architect to design my kitchen? There's a whole bunch of cost-based questions. Um, now, problem. Problems is usually any statement that somebody makes that is almost like negative. Uh, is it true that somebody told me that your competitor said that? Okay. For example, do I even need an architect for my home, right? That's a fear-based question, okay? Pros and cons of hiring an architect for your next home. That's an example, pros and cons, that's a problems one. It's a, it's a potential negative. What are the drawbacks? Because here's what's really interesting. Whenever we're serious about spending money on something, we wanna know how could this blow up in my face? How could this go wrong? So one of the most profitable pieces of content I ever did with river pools was what are the problems with a fiberglass pool? Turns out the people that are looking for what are the problems with the fiberglass pool, they want to buy a fiberglass pool. They just want to know and ain't going to go wrong. 
they're not asking that otherwise, right? If they want a concrete pool, they ain't asking the question about a fiberglass pool and its problems, okay? So comparisons. Um, you mentioned a comparison earlier, Jeff, architects versus, and there's like like competing titles of types of, let's call it designers or whatever you want to call in our space. There's lots of comparisons. Materials versus materials for your home. Styles versus styles when it comes to um, any type of construction. You know, you understand when I say style versus style, this particular type of architectural style versus this style, right? So the list of comparisons are unlimited. And I would just be crushing those right now. I'd be just, I'd be going at them like crazy. Then you got reviews. The thing about reviews is you want to have, you want to have the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so if you're going to talk about, and again, I'm just, if you're going to introduce some new type of, uh, uh, you know, countertop, you know, to your, uh, to your, and I don't know even know if the people on this call do countertop, but let's just say they did. Okay. If you're going to introduce a new countertop, well, you have to say who it's for. You got to say who it's not for what you like about it and what you don't like about it. That's how you become the trusted leader. The reason why YouTubers, the traditional YouTubers are the most trusted when it comes to reviews is because generally they say the good, the bad and the ugly, what they did and didn't like about it. So you as a company have to learn to do that as well. Even if you are a main purchaser or a provider or whatever you wanna call it of that particular brand, you gotta be willing to say, here's who it's not for guys, right? listen, if you want a true lap pool, don't go fiberglass. Okay. This is not for you. Right. It's like, that's the type of thing we have to be willing to say. And then finally best, right? So there's all these types of best questions, prolific. Now there's some very specific ones like best kitchen architects, Orange County, California. Like that's a very good specific search. I'd own that one. If I was in Orange County, I'd be slaying as an architect because they, they search it all the time and ain't no architect. I guarantee you answered that question. Maybe like some stinking Angie's list or something, who knows, but not those those peers of ours in the space. By the way, if you want to know how to do the best without making yourself look like a schmuck, read the book and you'll understand exactly how to do that. But then there's a lot of best-based questions like, what is the best design for? What's the best material for? Like fill in the blank. I mean, there's just like unlimited. What's cool about the architecture space, because basically it's like um, it's like a cousin of pools, right? Because I, I mean, we're doing the same thing. You got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions to address. You're they ask you answer well and never, you're not selling gumballs, y'all. I mean, you're selling something that's so interesting, so many questions. You just, it's unlimited the opportunities for education and therefore thought leadership in the marketplace. I love it. The, um, <laughs> I was on a podcast I listened to, you, you were doing an interview and the, the, the responses, what was absolutely and and I love it or something, uh, in sales conversations. I'll have to dig up which podcast that was. Yeah. If you want to kill deals as a salesperson, yeah. answer with absolutely after all your questions. And each time you add an absolutely, your closing rates go down. That's a whole side conversation. But uh, yeah, it's a good one to have sometimes. <laughs> it is. Yeah. The idea of becoming a thought leader. I know that as we're talking about this, there are people that are saying, oh, I don't have time. Because Everybody in this community is wearing the 17 hats of an entrepreneur. We get it. Small business owners. I don't have time to do this video. I don't have time. You know, shorts are great. I don't have time to write a blog post, et cetera. But what you're talking about, and, and again, you've got to go read the book uh, because there are lots of case studies or testimonials in there. The return on investment of doing what Marcus is talking about. It's really important. And, and having consulted in this space for quite a while, uh, I'm I'm going to double and triple down on what Marcus is saying is that if you do it, 
you're going to be one of the only. You really are. The opportunity's out there. Yeah, it's out there. And listen, I mean, when somebody says they don't have the time, what they're actually saying is, I'm not experiencing enough pain yet to make this a priority. Because, you know, when I was getting ready to lose my home because of the crash of 2008, I, I remember very vividly going to my wife and say, I think we're going to lose the business and therefore we're going to lose our home. I can't go to bed at the same time as you anymore. I need to stay up and I need to try to save the business. And I think I can do it by producing this content. That's my idea. Would you support that? And she said, whatever you got to do. And so, you know, I, I, I slept five or six hours a night for two straight years and we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. Now, I wouldn't recommend that to people if you don't have to do that. But uh, that's also why I don't have extreme amounts of empathy for someone that says we don't have time. No, no, you just don't have the pain yet. Once you have the pain and all of a sudden it's, oh, that's, it becomes a major priority. So just, you know, consider that as, as you, as <laughs> that's why I'm also suggesting short video because you can scale it so fast. You can go on one job site, let's say, and you could do like six or seven different short videos. And now you've got stuff that you can just start publishing at scale, which is great. John in, in the comments said, what do you think of two or three or four architect friends co-making short videos? I'm not a fan um, just because you'll see that ultimately one person steps up and somebody else is, is not really going to give it their all. I want to build on my own land. Okay. And so uh, I, I, I do like networking and I, I do like the one plus one equals three, but if they have a good channel, I'll do something in conjunction with them, like a joint venture video, but I'm not going to go into it thinking, Hey, let's all three build up this channel. That ain't going to work. Build up your own brand, your own legacy. Good advice there. Well, I realize we have very quickly, as, as much as I would love to have this conversation go for another couple of hours, we've made it to the top of the hour. Marcus, thanks so much. First of all, thanks for everything that you've shared with the world for so many years now. Uh, and thanks for They Ask You Answer and, and the books that have come after that. I appreciate you for all of that and for spending this time with us. Um, it's been, uh, I, I think it's been valuable. I, I don't know if you saw this comment earlier, but I think it was actually John said maybe 45 minutes ago, he said, spoiler alert, this is about to become a context and clarity instant classic. So, uh, I already know that our, uh, our audience, our community here is, is feeling like they got a lot from this conversation. So thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, to everybody out there, uh, I say this every week, but I really mean this. Uh, I didn't even mention this, but this is our 700th, 700. This is our 700th Context and Clarity conversation today. I believe our 97th Context and Clarity Live. And all of this is because of you, right? If you didn't show up, I say this all the time. I always figure there's going to be a day that I log on and I'm the only one here, right? I'm just looking, looking at myself, but you haven't let that happen yet. It's because of you that we have the ability to have these conversations with people like Marcus Sheridan. So thank you all. Well, what do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use maybe in your practice or even in your life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, every week in the Entree Architect Network, I host the Context and Clarity Classroom. It's our weekly opportunity to take what we've learned from our special guests and put those lessons into action in your life and in your work. Find the Context and Clarity Classroom exclusively inside the Entree Architect Network at network.entrearchitect.com. 
And if you are so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to YouTube. Find the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Your likes and your ratings and your shares all help us help other entrepreneur architects like you. And together, they help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.